Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 150, How to Respond to Your 2020 Enemies. Hello and welcome. I am your host, Lori Krieg, and I am with my favorite licensed therapist, Argyle expert, and my husband, Matt Krieg. Hey, Matt. And the most professional radio voice among us, producer Steve, is not with us today because he's got the Rona. Uh, So he is quarantining and Matt and I are, because we're also in sheltered place now in Michigan, we're in our affectionate, what's called affectionately by our kids, the spooks in our house, (laughs) the down, down spooky stairs. But guys... If you were watching this on the Vimeo or YouTube, you could see where we are at. And you could also see our special guest today, which, who is it? It's the one and only Scott Saul. Scott, welcome. Thanks for having me, you guys. This will be fun. Yeah, we're so excited. I have so appreciated uh, your book um, and you from afar. Um, I really just appreciate that you are a leader who is trying to lean into many challenging spaces, um, walking the road of grace and truth in many different challenging conversations. And so when you engage that well, you just only get respect points from us who are trying our best as well. Um, But for those of you who don't know Scott, he's the senior pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and the author of books like Irresistible Faith. And today's focus, uh, his latest book, A Gentle Answer, Our Secret Weapon in an Age of Us Against Them. And secret has air quotes. Well, not air quotes. Secret weapon has (laughs) quotes around it. Um, But before coming to Nashville, Scott served at New York City's Redeemer Presbyterian Church, aka Tim Keller's Church, which you all know if you listen to this podcast for more than a few minutes. Know that I'm a super fan, Um, but he was a lead and preaching pastor and planted two churches. He has written all over the place, and you can find his insightful blogs weekly at scottsauls.com. So excited to dive in, but we are going to tiptoe into the deeper conversation about a gentle answer in 2020. Help us, Scott Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. Jesus, Um, with the question of the week from last week, which is this. What's your favorite big holiday meal leftover mashup? So, you know, a lot of people get creative with leftovers. Scott, do you get creative? I don't get creative. I just ask my wife. My wife, Patty, makes this amazing um, uh, homemade cranberry sauce. And so I just ask her to make like a quadruple batch. And and I just sometimes I'll just eat that for my meal. Uh, Not not really good for the sugar levels. But but um, but yeah, that's my that's my post Thanksgiving indulgence typically. So she's not using the old um, like cranking hand cranking open a can of cranberry slop and just you know, throwing it on a plate. Yeah, that's a good question. Like that's what we used to do. Um, <laughs> and, and then we had Thanksgiving with with some people uh, in our church. I think it was in Kansas when we were in Kansas City, and somebody made this incredible stuff and uh, cranberry sauce. And so Patty got the recipe, and then she put her own twist to it, and it's been a highlight ever since. Love it. Matt, what listener response stood out to you? Yeah, I really liked what Terry had to say. My grandma and granny always made their stuffing into little patties and fried them up on a griddle. Tons of them. We would heat them up after Thanksgiving and eat them with our eggs in the morning for at least the rest of the weekend. Not a mashup, really, but super yum. One year, granny and I were sitting in the kitchen while mom was frying them up, 
and I sneaked behind mom's back and snitched one of the ones that were finished. And granny was giggling like a schoolgirl because she she knew I was going to share with her. That's one of my best memories. It sounds delicious because it sounds like stuffing hash browns, which (laughs) I don't know how you can go wrong with that. So yeah, any 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 level of Thanksgiving leftovers, I am down to eat. (laughs) I appreciated this. Hi, I'm Jasmine from the UK. Here we make bubble and squeak with the leftover veg from Christmas um, on Boxing Day. I don't think you do do that in the states actually, Um, but we normally serve that with beans and like the cold meat or nut roast, and it's really good. Bubble and squeak. No, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I feel like I've seen it on the Food Network, but um, I am with you, Scott. I don't get that creative. I don't love cooking. I love baking. And so I think just smashing everything together into leftover part two of just the exact same thing is great for me. Mm-hmm. Now, Scott, we... This is almost embarrassing to ask you this question because we just stole it from Keller and then uh, flipped it around (laughs) uh, based on some feedback we got from Kurt Thompson to start with the love part instead of the sinful part. So, as you know, Tim Keller says uh, what the gospel is. I'm more loved than I imagine, yet more sinful than I believe. So if that's the gospel, then when was that gospel first good news for you, Scott? And how is it still? Oh, well, I first uh, heard the gospel and had it embodied to me uh, by a man named Mark McGoldrick, who remains a friend of mine. He's been on the staff for crew uh, for years. He's still on their staff, and he was when he introduced me to the gospel. For the first time I've ever heard the gospel, I was, how old was I? I was uh, 17 or 18 years old heading into basketball practice and he just kind of literally jumped out of the bushes uh, at, at, <laughs> at high school. And I think some of the, a couple of the, uh, my teammates uh, in high school were Christians and they were in one of the Bible studies Mark led and they put him up to telling me about Christ. I guess, you know, somehow God had, you know, put me on their minds and hearts and, and so, and they knew that I showed up typically an hour early to basketball practice and, you know, to stretch and just kind of, hang out and that sort of thing. And so there he was uh, hiding behind a bush. (laughs) He jumped out (laughs) and, uh, uh, you know, it was a little bit scary, but also intriguing. And and, uh, he, you know, took me through this, uh, uh, I guess it was called the four spiritual laws back then. And and that was just the first time anybody had ever walked me through, at least the way he put it was, uh, what it could look like to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I was intrigued and, I guess it was like the raw, the the seed that, that that fell on the ground and and you know kind of got choked uh, during the college years. Mm. And what really what really took was was when uh, a girl that I thought I was going to marry in college dumped me for a friend of mine uh, mm. right before my senior year. And uh, you know Christianity was way in the background and and it was thrust to the foreground as a bunch of other Christian friends in college came around me just to encourage me through that season and. And that was when the gospel really took and, uh, you know, felt the love of Christ really through my my fellow students there at Furman University uh, and the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And uh, 
I've been falling in and out of love with Christ ever since uh, uh, with my fickle heart, but he's, his love has remained steady for me, uh, which, I'm, which I'm very grateful for. Mm. I love that. So we've been asking, we didn't just ask you that because of your background with at Redeemer, uh, but we've been asking that set of questions to every guest for the last 150 episodes. And so something that always stands out to me is some of these pillars of the faith right now, I would consider you one of them. Like someone took a risk. They jumped out of the literal bushes, but they Mm -hmm. took a risk to share the gospel and uh, look at the fruit that was produced. It always exhorts me. Yeah. Well, and so you, 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 you said kind of how it started and then you talked about your, your currently fickle heart falling in and out of love. Is there a more specific way that, that the, the gospel has just hit you recently or right now? Yeah, right now, um, you know, we, we made a decision to pivot on our uh, Advent series and just because of what 2020 has been and COVID and everything else, we, we, we were going to do a series on um, the mothers of Jesus, you know, the, the women in, in mm. Jesus's genealogy, which, which we're going we're gonna to put that on hold until next year and can't wait to do that. But uh, one of our, actually our, our, uh, our creative arts director and, and uh, uh, sort of chief liturgist Nathan Tasker came up with uh, an idea that we boot off of the, that lyric uh, where it talks about how a weary world rejoices uh, in, mm. in All Holy Night. He said, what, what, what would you think about maybe doing a series called A Weary World Rejoices? And, and, and all of us, we have four different locations for our church and four different, you know, pastors uh, at the different sites. And all four of us were like, yes, uh, yeah, that's so obvious. We don't even need to answer the question. And so, so we decided to do an extended Advent series uh, that started last Sunday. Uh, mm-hmm. Walking through Isaiah. Every year our church has done a, a, a performance for the city of Nashville of Handel's Messiah. And this year, for obvious reasons, we can't do that. Uh, And so we're preaching through uh, essentially the Isaiah texts that you find in Handel's Messiah. And um, I have been freshly struck by the call that Isaiah accepted, right? So most Mm. churches right now, if things are going well, most churches are seeing in America, at least about 40% of their people returning to in-person gatherings. And then the other 60 are still out there either uh, disengaged or, you know, doing online and just, you know, saying safe and taking extra precaution. And, and, you know, that's kind of stunk. Uh, I mean, it's, it's led to, yeah. I think the last stat that I've heard from, uh, from, Barna is that 70% of pastors right now are looking for other work. Uh, mm. and, and that's not an exaggeration, 70%. And, uh, you know, Tom Rayner wrote this article a few weeks ago, you know, six reasons why your pastor's about to quit. Like, like just COVID has been kind of crushing to a lot of, a lot of pastors, especially just like it has with tur- touring artists and other people whose livelihoods and, you know, main thing depend on people gathering. And so, so Isaiah, it's been remarkable because uh, his, his call, you know, the, the call that he said, here I am, send me to, was essentially, uh, you know, God saying to him, the moment you start preaching the stuff I'm going to give you to preach, 90% of the people are going to drop off the radar. And, mm. and, and Isaiah had no return to normal uh, after that. Uh, his, his whole life and ministry was just you know, like Sisyphus unsuccessfully trying to push that rock all the way to the top of the hill. And then it rolls back down and he goes back and repeats. 
And, you know, just the perspective of, of Isaiah being the most hopeful, one of the most hopeful books in the Bible, written by a, a man who uh, had just so many despairing circumstances. And, you know, the history books say that he was sawn in two, and that's how his life ended. Um, if he can be hopeful, then, then, then surely we can be hopeful, too. If God can be up to remarkable things, as he was in Isaiah's life, even though Isaiah never saw any of the fruit uh, in his own lifetime, then we can be hopeful that God's up to some really remarkably important things right now, even if we can't see them. Mm. A long answer, but that's where I'm getting my encouragement right now. Yeah. Dang, Scott, that's like worth the price of the podcast, which is free. But for me, <laughs> like, thank you for your time and exhorting yeah. us just now. Yeah. So, I mean, definitely need need that hope. And, and I definitely pray that that is a, a series that lands just full of hope yes. for the people that hear it. And mm. um, now we are talking about your book, A Gentle Answer. And and. Obviously, you wrote it about a week ago, maybe two weeks ago, right after election time. <laughs> two years um, ago. Because it seems like there's ago, a lot man. of wrath. <laughs> What's that? It seems like there's a lot of wrath we got to try to turn away. But why did you write this book? <laughs> yeah. Well, you ago. know, originally I was just thinking, you know, remember it was, two, it, well, it was two years ago. And remember four years ago, we had a, a really hotly, ugly contested presidential election <laughs> right and oh I thought, you yeah know that one <laughs> yeah and i was thinking you know kind of midstream right it's probably going to get ugly in 2020 as well around politics uh and uh that's really all all i was thinking was you know christians didn't handle uh clinton trump very well uh progress you know the, the democrat leaning and and republican leaning christians nobody handled it well and i thought you know what maybe, maybe i'll put something out there that um might you know potentially have a heart softening effect uh, 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 and, and maybe increase the empathy quotient for more Christians so we can maybe have a, a bit better witness than we did last time. Mm. Um, <laughs> too bad, so sad. Didn't didn't happen this time either. But um, <laughs> you know the, the hope was that that you know I could put something out there that would you know that whoever read the book maybe it would help move the needle you know toward kindness and and away from being brash and abrasive and defensive and all these other things that Christians seem to have mastered uh, during political seasons now. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and so, um, but then the rest of 2020 has also happened. Murder Hornets, asteroid the size of Empire State Building headed toward the earth, uh, you know, a brainy in Texas and, you know, all of the, the racial tension and, and, um, you know, it just seems like uh, the year of the perfect storm in many ways. And of course, oh yeah, COVID. Um, and so global pandemic, uh, it, uh, it's a well-timed book, but I'm, I'm really actually sad that, that for all the reasons why it's, it's a well-timed book. I certainly didn't intend it that way, but it, it's turned out that way. It comes across, it's so beautiful. I just kept getting this image of you kind of alone playing a, a melody and then the whole rest of the world is playing either in minor key or in like just disunity and you're trying to walk against the storm and i was mm. like Woo, reading it like right now mm. i was like this is so poignant and it's beautiful like it's musical there's a melodic tone to it but it's so countercultural, mm. and 
I just keep thinking about how even two years, four years ago, even, you know, you could post things. It's like, guys, we got to love our enemies. Member, member. Now you say love your enemies and people are like, shut up, enemy. Like, yeah. and that's like Christians yeah. basically say that. Yeah. So like what, what broke? <laughs> Why are we broken? Well, I, you know, I, the, the self-justifying mechanism of the human heart just reorganizes itself, um, you know, and, and I think that's probably what happened. Uh, it, it has been a bit alarming to see um, so many Christians get ticked off at, at the kindness <laughs> message and at the, um, you know, essentially the Beatitudes message, which, which yeah. essentially... <laughs> If your life isn't resembling the the Beatitudes, you, you've got really good reason to ask yourself whether or not you're aligned with Jesus Christ. Mm. Um, you look, this is the guy who he took it on the chin, and 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 then it took it on the chin again, and and the only people he bowed up against were people who were bowing up against everybody. You know the the scribes and the Pharisees who you know used their religion as a weapon. Uh, in order to, you know, preserve their own power. And um, they use the scriptures as a weapon and as a, as a PR opportunity is how they use the Bible on a regular basis. And, and then also, you know, Roman people in power, um, you know, like Pilate, you know, although Jesus wasn't really aggressive, he was just kind of dismissive uh, to their, you know, you know, don't you know I can let you go, Pilate says. And, you know, yeah, you wouldn't have any authority unless my father in heaven had given it to you. You know, just and so those are really the only people he gets snippy with. And and and, you know, he gets angry at death at, at Lazarus's tomb. And he gets, mm-hmm. of course, angry at corrupt worship in the temple and flips the tables and everything. But outside of that, you know, seventh I am statement. I am gentle. I am gentle and humble in heart. Uh, and you know, he's, he's a giver of rest to the human soul. And so it is a bit alarming to hear Christians say, Oh, we gotta, you know, we gotta be prophetic. Well, you know what? Um, be careful, uh, because, uh, that, that Pharisee impulse seems mm. to be driving a lot of the Christian conversation right now. Mm. Um, especially in the social media space, but there are exceptions. I mean, I think there's a reason why Mr. Rogers is so popular again. Um, I think there's a silent majority uh, and, and with emphasis on the word majority uh, that, that craves what, you know, Mr. Rogers brought, you know, the, the mm. kindness, the tenderness, the empathy, um, you know, the wanting to step in other people's shoes. But, uh, you know, it's not a question of whether or not it's okay to be angry because there is a, a form of righteous anger. The Bible, you know, in its original text says, be angry and, and sin not. It's actually a command, um, you know, to hate evil and cling to what is good. You know, the two go together. They're not separate. They're not contradictory. Uh, but, I, you know, I think, I think you know, righteous anger and raging anger are two different kinds of anger. And, and, and I think there are a lot of Christians who, who, act like their raging anger is actually righteous anger when it's not righteous. Righteous anger attacks problems, raging anger attacks people. Uh, and, and, and uh, you know, the righteous anger that attacks problems, especially attacks problems that attack people, but, but, but it's raging anger that attacks people. Um, you know, we're supposed to love our enemies, not put them in their place. Ooh, so good. So I, I like how you, 
you, you, you phrased something that you said. You said that um, if you don't have the Beatitudes kind of reflected in your life, um, you would question not whether someone is Christian, but you said you would question whether or not they are aligned with Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just like that 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 is a very, I, I don't know, di- not dismissive, not defensive. I don't even know what word. It's 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 disarming that phrase because so many people will be like, "I am a Christian," you know, right. and and because that word has such kind of cultural commonality, I guess. But to to be united or to be aligned with Christ is is something that is much more specific, I guess, in what it conveys. Um, yeah. And and I guess with that, okay, there's been a lot of calls. For unity, there's been a lot of calls for kindness. If we are to align ourselves with Christ, what would that kindness and unity look like? It's a great question. Um, it's a really great question, and I'm, I'm trying to think of a context to locate the question into. Uh, let, let's locate your question into the context of politics. What it looks like to align with Christ uh, might look like the loudest voices uh, grieving and lamenting uh, the assault on the unborn in America should be Christian Democrats uh, who are so grieved that their own party uh, is, is overlooking this, this atrocity that, that's happening to, to millions, literally millions of, of, of image bearers. Uh, you know, it should it's, it should be Christian Democrats, not Christian Republicans, that scre- are screaming the loudest. In the same way that I believe it should be Christian Republicans, who are screaming the loudest about uh, you know asylum-seeking children being separated from their parents at the border. Uh, you know, why is not why is my party not taking more of a public stand uh, to get this fixed? Uh, you know, and, and in other words, in other words, it, it looks like logs and specs uh, as applied to our tribe, as applied to our echo chambers so our echo chambers aren't echo chambers anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we have to be able to affirm what the other side is maybe doing better than than our side is uh so that we don't have sides anymore right you know think about how state of the union address always goes right you've got um you know a president stands up and the first words out of the president's mouth are always the state of our union is strong and then the rest of the speech proves that that statement is not true because half of the room stands up and half the room sits down you know during the whole speech uh and you know, I think if, if, if the world were looking into church sanctuaries, they would see Christian Republicans and Christian Democrats standing for the same things and sitting uh, and lamenting over the same things. Uh, in other words, our, our, our alignment, our allegiance uh, is, is first and foremost with Jesus, whose kingdom is not of this world, and only secondarily in a distant second to some political party. Um, mm. So mm, that's, that's so how I'd maybe put it in that context since it's mm. so current. So uh, Matt and I speak a lot into sexuality, marriage, gender, some conversational. That one's a little trickier um, in the context of the gospel. And we have to do a lot of heart work before we even get on a stage just to make sure that our words are 
tender and gentle and I'm not trying to fix and control and my heart is motivated by the Holy Spirit as opposed to hatred. Like, is that what you would say if someone's like, okay, I, I need to take a stand on something. What's the, how do they know if they should take a stand on something and then how to take a stand on something so that it's the, the singular violin playing the melody against the world's noise? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, th- there is a speaking truth to power element uh, of, of public faith, right? Our, our faith is not meant to be privatized. Uh, it's meant to be a very public uh, expression of, of who we are, what we believe, and, 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 and what we believe to be Christ's vision for a flourishing world and a flourishing society. So uh, I, I think that it looks like valuing what uh, John Anazu, who might be somebody you might consider having on your, on your podcast as well, he's a Washington University uh, law professor and sort of public intellectual, John Anazu calls confident pluralism. Hmm. Uh, in other words, Christians, Christians should not desire a Christian society where hmm. essentially the the moral values of Christianity are imposed on every person in society. That's what you call a theocracy. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we are a democracy or a, you know, or some people call it a constitutional republic, right? But we are a melting pot of ideas. And if Christians really believe that uh, Jesus Christ gives the most cohesive, the most life-giving um, vision for human and societal and vocational and cultural flourishing uh, in you know the 66 books of the Bible and in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. If, if we really believe that his vision uh, exceeds anything else that has ever been put out by any other religion or philosophy, then it seems like we should be pretty relaxed uh, <laughs> in, in terms of our posture and demeanor with, with, with a sense of quiet, settled, humble confidence that the truth of Christ is going to prevail and to feel less threatened by whatever's going on in the halls of power because guess what? There's a subversive power called the kingdom Amen. of God that's going to just upend every every prideful structure uh, that, and every imperfect structure, which is essentially every structure that, that, that human beings erect on our own. And, 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 and so if we believe that Christ is the smartest person that ever lived, why are we threatened by ideas that contradict and engaging ideas that contradict what we believe? Wouldn't we want to instead, like the Apostle Paul did in Acts chapter 17 with the, the, the Athenian Greek academics, say, hey, all right, how's that worldview working out for you? Because um, it seems to me like uh, you're still groping. It's still, it seems yeah. to me like your, your, your noble quest for truth, which he praises at the very beginning, uh, is not really leading anywhere except to just more confusion and chaos. Let me try to bring it all together. 
let, let, let's try to bring together the good ideas from your belief systems, right? You're quoting the Stoics over here who say, in him we live and move and have their being. Guess what? I've memorized your Stoic uh, philosophers. It's in my brain. It's in my memory because it's true. And so let's take that here. And, and then let's take what the Epicureans say. We are all God's offspring. And, and I believe that too, but in a different way than maybe the Epicureans. You know, let's, let's just bring that all together. We're agreed on these things. Now let me tell you how Christ puts it all together. And let me tell you how Christ dismantles all the other bullcrap uh, that, mm. that your belief systems, uh, you know, are, are, are destroying. Let me tell you why your belief systems are destroying people. Uh, let me tell you why communism has never worked. Let me tr tell you why, you know, Nietzscheanism have, has never worked. Uh, you know, let me tell you why, you know, Seattle grunge culture, you know, doesn't work, you know, <laughs> ultimately, even though there are redeeming true aspects of all of them. Christ is, is the, is the, the, um, you know, the owner of all truth. And, and, and so if you bring all truth under Christ, that's when it all starts to, to become cohesive and it starts to work and it, it starts to create flourishing in whatever and whomever and wherever it touches. And, and so I think there's a really winsome life-giving way to carry that into the world. Like don't tell people their belief systems are bull crap. Like I just did. Like, so, <laughs> don't do but that. there's a, there's a, yeah, there's a kind hearted, gentle, um, persuasive way to do it like like let's talk about if francis schaefer was a master at this like he he his whole approach was to take people to the logical conclusion of their belief system like let's just go there and see where this is leading and then let's compare and contrast it to where uh belief in the gospel leads and and then you make your choice and we're going to be friends regardless of what direction you go we're still going to be friends as far as i'm concerned uh, and so, you know, even in like the, the sexuality conversation, which I know you guys are like in the dead center of all the time, <laughs> you know, your lives, your convictions, your commitments, your leadership and influence. Um, I hope more and more and more and more people will listen to you guys oh. uh, and learn from your story. But but, um, you know, even in that conversation, things can just get so derailed mm -hmm. and, and people can get so triggered and so injured uh, by just careless words and care, just careless postures, um, you know, well-intended people who are just being careless. Mm -hmm. And and I think if we take the tone and the content of the gospel, especially as expressed uh, through the life of Christ uh, toward sexual minorities in, in his experience, mm -hmm. um, you know, what an amazing resource the Church of Jesus Christ would be to um, to people who are dealing with Mm -hmm. any form of sexual brokenness mm -hmm. um, or pursuing sexual health. You know? mm -hmm. so. I think that's one of the gifts that we try and bring. And I pray, I just love what you're saying. I just can't stop nodding. Um, is, is you, is telling people it's okay to calm down. Like we don't have to freak out because no matter where people are running, no matter how much they're literally screaming in your faces, you know what they're, screaming underneath that is I just want and need mm -hmm. Jesus and so we don't have to be afraid we don't have to be scared uh, and our hair lights on fire mm -hmm. in this space it doesn't mm -hmm. have to <laughs> yeah it seems like so many of and in and, and particularly in the sexuality conversation so many people want to take the posture of Jesus flipping the tables over yeah you know and and 
Yeah, Jesus didn't flip the tables over on the woman caught in adultery. Ooh. You know, that was that was a time that he he postured himself very low to the ground, got down on her level. Neither That's do right. I condemn you, but then still called to hey, go and sin no more after saving her life. Um, and I guess if, if that posture that Jesus takes in a majority of his preaching and his life on earth was this gentleness towards sinners. Um, how, I guess, how can that change the way that, that we interact with one another when we do have disagreement, when there is like an actual sin issue that's going on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, yeah, in the, in the book, the first three chapters try to take a different angle on that question where, you know, we have to look first at what Christ has been for us before we before we can even have the conversation about what we're supposed to do for him. I mean, bear in mind that Matthew 11, where Jesus says, I'm gentle and humble in heart, you know, and and on the basis of that, come to me. He says that a a full 17 chapters before he says, go for me or do for me or be for me, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like, come to me is 17 chapters ahead of, of the great commission. Right. And, 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 you know, that order is really important. And that, that order was expressed in the way that he treated the woman caught in the act of adultery. He says, I do not condemn you. Now leave your life of sin. The sequence is incredibly important there because if you reverse the sequence, you lose Christianity and you lose Jesus and you get something else. You get another gospel. If you put, you know, leave your life of sin and then, and then we'll get to the no condemnation conversation, maybe, <laughs> um, you know, and, 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 and so, um, you know, I think with, I think with, um, you know, the, the question of how do we go out and, and be as Christ was to, to the world, we've got to look at, you know, the, the book's got three chapters, you know, how he disarms the cynic in us, how he re- reforms the Pharisee and how he, I, I can't remember, like forgives the sinner in us or something like that. The sinners, Pharisees and cynics, right? That, that, that represents all of our different, you know, in general ways, our different forms of resistance toward the mercy of Christ. And, uh, but, but once we've experienced the mercy of Christ, it, it, it has this humbling, it has this humbling effect on the one hand, but it also has this, this confidence boosting uh, effect on the other, right? I, I am so bad that I needed what Christ, I needed that bloodbath on the cross in, in order to justly take care of, of what a train wreck I am. Uh, and, and yet I was, was and am so deeply loved by him that he, that he was not only willing, but, but, but eager uh, to, to go through the bloodbath uh, in order to have me as his own. And, mm. and, and if, that's, if that's what I'm operating out of, I just don't know how you're going to offend me after that. Mm. <laughs> you know, I, I, just, I just don't know how I'm ever going to think I've got the moral high ground on anybody after that right uh as steve brown likes to say we're we're beggars like the 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 christian posture is beggars who who are looking for other beggars to to share with them where the bread is that's what a christian is Mm. supposed to be that's how a christian is supposed to position themselves uh in a culture that's turning in on itself with outrage is hey 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 hey, there's some bread over here (laughs) you know come, Mm. come try some bread um but yeah, we got a long way to go. Oh. Well, if someone is listening and maybe 
like the woman caught in adultery, they can see themselves on the edge with a stone in their hand. And it's like, it feels gorilla glued there. Or And it's like, I'm always ready to attack. Mm-hmm. And maybe they kind of hate that in themselves. Or maybe like many of us, maybe it's the silent majority is like, I am so sick of any sentence I say being met with someone fighting me like pastors at pastors it feels like you guys cannot win uh, no matter what you say or do um so what would you say to someone and you take them separately or together who's like i'm so angry or and they're feeling maybe convicted by this conversation or it's just like i just don't even care anymore i don't even care what would you say to us oh i would say get into the book of Isaiah. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, Let's go back to the beginning. No, that's what I would say. Yeah. Uh, you know, especially chapter six. Uh, and then, you know, thereafter, you know, comfort ye, comfort me, my people. Yeah. Uh, you know, then Isaiah nine, uh, you know, to us a child is born, a son has been given, and he will reign on David's throne. And of the increase of his government, mm. there will be no end. Then, of course, the suffering servant passages in Isaiah 53, just to ground us uh, in the sacredness and thoroughness of, of what Christ has done for us, um, you know, in his death in particular. And, and then that, that vision from Isaiah about the lamb, and the, the, you know, the, the, the lion and the children and the scorpions, mm. you know, and the, yeah. and the, you know, defenseless animals all dwelling in peace, right? That whole metaphor of like, like, Darwin's world coming to an end mm. uh, and, and you know where this where the strong eat the weak and you know the you know the the <laughs> I've always wondered why more children aren't traumatized by the Lion King circle of life concept right <laughs> yeah. like oh yeah uh, we eat the antelopes so the antelopes eat the grass or <laughs> they fertilize the grass or they eat the grass or something like that yeah, and yeah. then we fertilize the grass I mean it just this is all the circle of life all this blood and death <laughs> done you know it's like you know isaiah says no you know there's actually going to come a time where uh there isn't a circle anymore it's just going to be life Mm. and and going to be life forevermore and and you know the unity and peace that we're all you know craving I, i i wonder why i wonder if the reason why we're so on the attack is is more a defense mechanism than it is you know outrage toward the other we're just trying to protect ourselves from somebody mm-hmm. else's outrage and so we got to strike first or something i don't, I don't know mm-hmm. i'm no sociologist you're a counselor yeah, Matt, therapist fix us. So you can psychologize that and <laughs> let us know you know what the what the deep root of all that is but um i think kindness wins in the end you know we tell our teenagers our students at at church you know cool cool may win high school but kindness wins life so um you know consider kindness the the earlier the better that's Um, so good that's the fruit of the spirit so so good man scott thank you so much for sharing your heart in this book and um i don't know i just am leaving this conversation really encouraged so thanks for being you my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate the invitation. It's good to meet you guys. Yeah, for um, sure. <laughs> Man, guys, didn't you like him, Matt? Yeah, it was really good. And you were, you're coming up with some good deep questions right in the moment. 
this, the spooks is uh, is brain drying out some of your good question asking. Are you getting in therapy mode? Does this feel like therapy down here in the down, down spooky stairs? A little bit, maybe. I'd be facing that way, though. <laughs> You'd be yeah. facing a different direction instead of a camera, this direction. Uh, but guys, seriously, go check out that book. I really, I read it really quick. A Gentle Answer, Our Secret Weapon in an Age of Us Against Them by Scott Sauls. We do have a question of the week for next week, and it is this. What's the craziest competition you've ever done? Like glow stick midnight football or a .1K fun run. I've seen those. And the funnier part is when people put them on their cars. Uh, Or a game you made up when you have 11 brothers and sisters and you aren't going to just sit around and watch movies and eat food. Although you don't, it's not that you don't do that. It's just too hard with like a billion of you. Um, I want to hear about it. Hit me up at podcast at lauriecreek.com or find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And you can join our Hole in My Heart podcast Facebook group. Uh, I love to meet you there. We love to interact. There's a few hundred of you and we'd love to have you join us. Thanks again to Scott Sauls for joining us today and for all of us here, technically just the two of us, Matt and I at this point, (laughs) of the two of us here. God bless Steve. Feel better at the Hole in My Heart podcast. We will see you next week.